Marty, do you like mafia stuff? No, this isn't. Oh. I did find more about that Russian mafia dude, though. Like, I found... Who was it again? What was his name? Even something... Tommy I, Russia. They call I, him Tommy Russia. <laughs> you looked like a early morning drive time radio guy. Because you're like, <laughs> denim vest. <laughs> well, you know, denim vest. Your bangs are, like, kind of all over. Yeah. And so it looks like a mullet. <laughs> Just because your headphones, you know, so like your they longer hair is like, you got a cup of coffee and you're like waving your arms around. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, it's the top of the hour. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hi. We're uh, SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on episode 11, Disrobed. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what I I didn't even look at the title of it. Makes sense, because of the judge and stuff. All right, so we see a car and a kind of strung out chick comes up to the car and opens the door and there's a dead man. And she's like annoyed. She's like, oh, she's like, oh my my God, oh my God, (laughs) I'm out of here. Munch and Cassidy show up. He was shot point blank in the face or in the jaw with a nine millimeter. Yeah. And it looks like his junk was shot off too. Yes. And then they find out his name is Judge. Judge. He's a judge. Judge Warren Varela. Varela. R.I.P. to the third missing dick in season one. (laughs) (laughs) At first I'm like, why are Munch and Cassidy here if this guy's just shot in the jaw? And they're like... We can make anything SVU, you guys. This guy's got his dick shot off. <laughs> robbery, robbery with their dicks out. Carjacking, carjacking off, you mean? <laughs> Burglary, yeah, there's jizz everywhere. <laughs> One of his pubes is missing. It was the sticky bandits. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that would totally change Home Alone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Home Alone, special victims. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, I went to a dark place. Yeah. Okay, so we're... Kevin! Ha- <laughs> we forgot Kevin! Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Munch finds a fancy gun holster on the passenger side floor, but then he's shown the driver's ID moments later, letting us know that they did a full sweep of the car and they missed the gun holster on the floor <laughs> on so- the passenger side. They're like, we didn't find the murder weapon. And I'm like, did you check on the dashboard? Because these guys are fucking terrible at their job. Munch is tough guy in it to the detective on the scene. Before they leave the scene, he's like, whoa, Judge Warren Varela, I want you to seal this crime scene tighter than an accountant's ass. And it's like, Munch, you're not hard. (laughs) What was his name for the jeweler when he was undercover? Oh, John John DeMunch. You never heard of John DeMunch? You know Munch came up with that, too. He's like, all right, I'm going to be this jeweler, and we're going to trick her. We're going to do a Bugs Bunny switcheroo over here. John DeMunch. And Cassidy's like, duh, that sounds good. (laughs) I can't with, because I felt bad for him this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he has a heart. I'm so easily swayed with anybody. I'm like, fuck Cassidy. He's a fuckboy dickhole. (laughs) And then I'm like, I just want to cradle him in my arms. They're at the precinct. Turns out his wife had seen him in the morning, but she had never come home. They wondered if she did it because she caught him cheating or something. And they rolled around these ideas that maybe it was a hit. Maybe it was a disenfranchised ex-lover. Maybe it was a sex offender he put away to prison. I don't think you're skipping over this on purpose, but I do need to spank Stabler. So they're talking about the time of death. The precinct. Yep. The she rolled pure. her eyes at me. Yeah. Um, In like a way like. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It no, was I, like, know, oh, I know duh, you weren't yeah. like, oh, don't bring this up. <laughs> yeah. No, I know that you're not. 
they're talking about his time of death was between 8 and 11 p.m. And they're like, why was he on the pier at night? And Stabler goes, nice neighborhood, not known for hookers or trannies. Like, it was just off the cuff, this is how we talk around here, which is 100% guaranteed yes. Mm -hmm. But don't, Stabler. I I know. So this guy, dick shot off, shot in the face. He was licensed to carry. Yeah. And he did own a nine millimeter, so it sounds like the rounds were from his own gun. Mm-hmm. But they didn't find the gun, just the bullets. The wife's lawyers won't let them talk to her anymore that day. They have her like fenced off. Yeah. But apparently he was like a really tough judge on sex offenders. And Jeffries says that he cut the ribbon to the women's shelter. Together we're safe mm-hmm. is the name of this organization. And he had an integral part in making it happen. And Craigan feels a lot of heat from the press and from the governor it, and yeah, yeah, from the inside of this because this was a judge. So he's super intense wanting this solved. Yeah, he's like, get moving. Then there's this like weird exchange between Olivia and Cassidy, remember? Um, yeah, because Cassidy approaches her like he's a seventh grader at a, his first fucking dance, being like, Hi, budding breasts and <laughs> tiny vagina. Hello. She, she, he was like, Do you got I'm sorry, s- seventh graders don't even think about vaginas yet. He's like, There's nipples behind your shirt. <laughs> he asks, like, Do you have a sex? She's like, Yeah, I mean, like, one minute. I mean, I'm at my fucking job. We both are. <laughs> but I didn't catch what he said because he's got that dumb fucking voice that I can't understand what he's saying half the time. Because I think Stabler was like, let's go. And and he was like, oh, does he know? And she's like, no, we don't talk about our personal lives. Yeah. Which I didn't know if this was like an Amazon mixing up the episodes because I was like, oh, or this was like the, the show letting us know that they're boning again. Huh. Because remember how before? Yeah. Or he's just like super weird. Like, hey, remember that time that we banged after we got hammered six months ago? Um, and you've completely moved on, and I've been throwing shitty fits about it. Yeah. How do you feel about that still? <laughs> hey, right. It's still weird, right? And she's like, what's weird? Oh, my God, this. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Craigan sends Benson and Stabler to check out mm-hmm. the office and follow the politics of the whole thing. This whole scene is just set to paint the picture of the good guy doing the right thing as the judge. And then he also sends off Munch and Cassidy to check out recent parolees because he had a lot of enemies and these guys are like abusers and sex offenders, just shitty dudes, shitty to women dudes. Mm -hmm. So they're like, these guys are violent criminals. We have to go follow all these leads. Benson and Stabler are at the judge's chambers. They don't specify who this person is because she's a woman. Uh, (laughs) Benson and Stabler... She actually didn't even have a face. No. (laughs) Just blonde hair and boobs. <laughs> I was like, wah, wah, wah. And they're like, yeah, but who did it? It was, was Charlie Day in a full green man suit. Just like, <laughs> So they're talking to who I assume is the judge's office manager, but they probably called her a secretary, like mm-hmm. in the office because it's the 90s or early 2000s mm-hmm. or today because nobody respects women. <laughs> Um, I'm like, <laughs> nobody respects women. <laughs> They're all kind of like leaning towards it. it was probably like an ex-con that he put away. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of death threats. Yeah. And she was really like, yo, I love this guy. I'd still be freaking flipping burgers at the burger barn or whatever she said. Hamburger heaven. <laughs> Hamburger heaven if it wasn't for... <laughs> burger barn. <laughs> It wasn't for the judge. When you say both of those names of burger restaurants, I still picture the same place. <laughs> she was like, well... You know, it's not necessarily an intimate... It's like the Burlington Coat Factory, but for burgers. Sorry, it took me too long. (laughs) So she was like, he sentenced a lot of sex offenders, so the dick shot may not be related to an intimate relationship. Yeah. And he absolutely had no girlfriend. Like, this guy's a really good dude. 
everybody is jerking this guy off pre-losing his dick so much yeah. that I'm waiting for him to fall from his pedestal yeah. that we're seeing him on. Everybody's like lifting him up as this amazing dude. Like it's already like, I'm like, this dude probably sucks. Yeah. there's a, I'm like, there's a fucking reason this guy is on the pier with his dick shot off. Yeah. Ooh, then they're at the morgue. <laughs> I love this morgue lady. She's like, oh, I've never done a judge before. Yeah. And Olivia's like, are you nervous? She's like, no. <laughs> and that was it. But so the genital shot came before the headshot. So he was aware. And bleeding out for yeah. a couple of minutes. Two or three minutes or something. And this, then the second shot came a foot away. Yeah. But he had ejaculated before he was shot in the head. I or put, in his junk. My notes I put, he came shortly before he was shot in the dick. And then in parentheses I put, at this point I've typed shot in the dick so many times <laughs> it's going to start coming up on predictive text. <laughs> Like, like, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here, yeah. but then it autocorrects to, I'm going to take a shot in the dick here. <laughs> so you're like, hey, mom, can we go to shot in the dick? <laughs> All right. Auto predict shot in the dicks. <laughs> Auto pre shot in the dicks. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. There was lipstick and saliva found on his junk. This was weird for me when. Annoying. It, <laughs> this was stupid. She was naming a chemical compound that was found on his dick, which yeah. included like red dye number 40 or whatever. Yeah. Fucking some sort of wax, yeah. some sort of whatever. Stabler's like, what's that? Olivia. Spin moves into, ugh, it's cherry glow lipstick. And I was like, bitch, you don't fucking know that. No shit. And I'm like, are you moonlighting as a Mary Kay consultant yeah. now, Olivia? Because are you trying to do like the whole, like, I'm a woman, so I know the chemical compounds of all lipstick? Like, Just super, it, it's cherry glow lipstick. <gasps> this is before like smartphones. So she may be like just reading shit on the toilet, like next to, next to the toilet. Yeah. And that was the last thing she read. And she's like, oh, my God, I know what that is. Right. But then she didn't want to TMI everybody. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> now they're like, yeah, we need to get talking to that wife. Yeah. So <laughs> they said, I think the widow is grieved enough. And it was like Ooh. three hours later. <laughs> yeah. So Benson and Stabler go to see the wife. Oh, I hated all of this. And they get right to it. And this lady is, she's like a rich grandma. Yeah. But she seems really sweet. Like she's the kind of grandma that would buy you wooden toys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like my mother-in-law. Yeah. So they get right to it and they ask her about if he was having an affair. This is how they did it. Stabler Ugh. legit asked, was he satisfied at home? That was his opening question to like, And she's your... like, motherfucker, we're 70. Like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, we have reason to believe it was a woman. And she was like, we no, have reason. He... Why? Because of the lipstick? Yeah. Stabler, your transphobia needs to take a fucking seat, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like what? A, that that fingernail? What? Could have been a he, she. You didn't yeah. throw out he, she again? You must be making progress. Fuck Stabler right now. <laughs> I said it. This episode now first of all calm down mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah i wasn't very into him in this episode yeah she was like he was a friend to women like i don't know why a woman would kill him uh they just kept asking her over and over again if he was having an affair and she was like i'd be the last to know and then outside olivia's like she doesn't believe that she wouldn't know she's like all women always know right and then she made this hillary clinton comment about sta standing by your man yeah through the because of the politics and because of mm -hmm. image and his pension and losing what she would get upon his death yeah so and if he was seeing a sex worker that's a felony and if a judge commits a felony they don't get their pension right so she's a, she's thinking maybe along the lines like the wife maybe knew about it but didn't want to say anything because there's such she would get something out of it you know right yeah yeah 
But they never really touch on that again. Mm-mm. This is literally the last time you hear or see the wife. They have so many other leads. Yeah. And also assuming that, I don't know, I just didn't like any of this kind of stuff where it's like, hey, there's a 70-year-old grieving woman. First of all, let's go after her and her husband. And maybe she didn't know. Maybe she was blissfully unaware of whatever her husband was doing. Let's go back to the wife. Maybe you should go back to the wife and be like, hey, this is what was is that a, actually happening. Is that a phone? No, this was like an al- that was like an alarm sound. Oh. Like, like ding 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 alert. Listen to this shit that your husband was doing. Yeah. Guaranteed this bitch did not know. I thought it was you like call, Brrr, calling Carol. Your- yeah. <laughs> Get this girl. Are you sitting down cuz I've got the tea. They should go back. They should have revisited her. I hope they did off camera. Yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> So they're at City Hall, and they approach Emily Waterberg. She's the deputy director of the Women's Action Committee. She's kind of plays it off, and she's like, oh, I basically just lobby in Albany. They were asking about the judge to her, and she was like, he was really respected and beloved in the women's movement. And that she didn't like know him very well or anything. Yeah, yeah, but she knew of him and how great he was. She's like, the governor's office will have more information for you. She redirects their questions about his enemies in Albany and tells them to check out the quote-unquote wife beaters and rapists he put away first. Emily, you are on my radar, honey. Yeah. She was also being kind of a sass. Yeah, Olivia was like, yeah, thanks for the advice. I'm a fucking detective. Yeah. Yeah. So they're at back at the precinct. Munch and Cassidy are going through files of prisoners worn put away that recently got out on parole. There was a few that just were like very recent or are coming up. And one was Green, Melendez, and Yee. Delfino Melendez apparently made threats to the judge and the bailiffs during his courtship. They go to this apartment. This was wild. This chick opens the door and they show her her badge. And he's like, look, I didn't call you guys. And a dude pops up and he's like, you bitch! And like attacks her. Yes. And they get into a fight and he slaps her. And she's like holding a child, by the way. And the child like runs off. Oh my God. I have in all caps, the toddler. That ran up to her and like jumped into her arms. Yeah. Munch and Cassidy break in and cuff him. Right. Yeah. And it's Delfino Melendez. Mm Mm-hmm. And Cassidy's, like, roughing him up. Because the guy was beating this woman, like, directly in front of them. Yeah. Couldn't hold his shit enough together to not beat his girlfriend. In front of cops. In front of, yeah, these detectives. So they come in. They tackle him. Cassidy gets, well, they. Munch stands there while Cassidy tackles him. Yeah. It's fine. He's an older man. Yeah. And Cassidy cuffs him, pulls him out. Munch is in a long trench coat. (laughs) This woman is on the floor sobbing. This toddler runs up to her. And they're embracing each other. And he just kind of looks over his shoulder, spin moves like a fucking 80s music video, and walks out the front door. Yeah, he's like, well, bye. Every moment that I have appreciated his bedside manner, I'm like, Munch, one out of five stars. So now they're questioning Delfino Melendez, who we missed an opportunity because Munch was like, ooh, the dolphin. (laughs) I know. I just didn't even write that down. So I was like, fuck you, Munch. We get it. You speak every language now, too. <laughs> They're like, oh, is it Dolphin? Is Delfino Dolphin Munch? You could have I said couldn't... that to Cassidy and it not been true. And he's like, I'm going to believe that forever now. Um, so they're in the interrogation room and they're questioning Delfino. He said he was able to be at the apartment, but the woman had filed a TRO, which is, I didn't have to Google it. That's called a temporary restraining order. They're implying that they can hold him there because they had a TRO on him. But he's like, she gave me permission to be there. Yeah, we made up. Yeah. Oh, that all makes a lot more sense. No, I didn't catch what TRO was. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. They were asked, yeah, they're like, where where were you? And he was at parenting classes, but was like all embarrassed about it. Stabler's like, all right, <laughs> your kid breaks curfew. What do you do? And he's like, what's curfew? Next. <laughs> so 
He says he doesn't have a gun, but he makes fun of people who own nine millimeters. You get him at gun shows in Kmart. They're for the Columbine crowd. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, fucking Columbine. Yeah, that happened like the year before, right? Yeah. Give it a second to breathe, you guys. Yeah. So fucked up. And for anybody totally who's younger, fucked up. how old were we when Columbine happened? I I graduated in 2001. Yeah, me too. So um, I was in high school. Was it high school? Yeah, it was. High school. Because then we were... there were like a million bomb threats and uh, yeah. different kinds of threats after that that we would always have to go into the gym or mm-hmm. they would put us in a row like ducks and file us single file to the building next door. And we're just like, fuck, man. Yeah. Melendez had threatened to kill the judge in open court and they were like, how in the fuck did you get released? Mm -hmm. You know, after doing something like that. And he says that he paid $2,226 to a charity. He's like, he said I have to give it to some charity or else. And they don't believe him at all. Yeah. Okay. So then Cassidy's at his desk. He's talking to Benson and Stabler. The judge's last cell phone call was to Emily Waterbury. What? They don't even really know each other. So why would she act like she didn't really know him outside of knowing of his stellar reputation with women and the Women's Rights Association? Yeah. Cassidy's like, why would she lie when cell phones are so easily traceable? And I'm like, good detective work, buddy. Yeah. Benson's kind of like, maybe Delfina wasn't lying. Like, we should check into some of this shit. Mm-hmm. Cassidy and Munch are going to go oh. check on the bribe angle. So they're yeah. going to go take care of that. Benson and Stabler go back to City Hall to talk to Emily Waterbury again. Waterberg. Waterberg. Is it Waterbury or Waterberg? It's Waterberg. I think I typed it wrong, and then eventually I heard it as Waterberg. Benson and Stabler go back to City Hall to talk to Emily Waterberg again. Mm-hmm. She's not that bright because they found the holes in her story pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So she's just like trying to get him with her sass. She's like, I couldn't, I can't possibly keep track of the 400 well, yeah. phone calls like in a day. And I mean, they're not she's- letting her slide. So it turns out she knew the judge really well, and she had her own record, which they were able to find, as a minor for... Some drug charges. They said, Yeah, they said drug charges and hooking, but she claims that it was not accurate, and it was also expunged by that judge. He had given her a fresh start, and they think she was working with him in the bribery situation. It's like, he gave her a fresh start. What did he get? Yeah, because you know? it's like, well, why is he pulling this bribery shit? Because the money is going to this charity. So it's like, oh, is he being backhanded supported? Is he like Robin Hooding this charity? Yeah. Or whatever. That's where I went at first. And I'm like, Mm-mm, he's got to be worse than that. Yeah. This for you, motherfuckers. <laughs> So there's a big old mess of cops digging through and taking files from an office. Judges' chambers. Including Benson and Stabler. They're also yeah. there. They need all of his financial stuff and the charities he's involved with. Like, together we're safe. And there was a woman's shelter he mentored. He mentored at a junior college in Suffolk County to help teen mothers find clerical jobs. The <laughs> the burger barn lady is really irritated. <laughs> he was one of the last of the good guys. You're barking up the wrong tree. Stabler wants the records for... Everything. Everything. So they're back at the precinct. Cragen's like, was he cheating on his wife or was he taking bribes for parole? And Jeffrey's cross-referencing the donations to charities with his cases. And chunks of thousands of dollars are lining up. Yeah. And they see the Delfino one from yeah, his wife. Yeah, for his, that exact number, 2226 yeah. or whatever. Some, why so specific? 2225, 2230, two grand. 50. <laughs> Right, where's the change? <laughs> His donation is on record to Together We're Safe. The numbers say that that charity pulled in 4.7 million in a year and a half. Yeah. In I thought it was one year. Was it oh, in one year? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Cassidy <laughs> chimes in and goes, "That's pretty good for a fledgling charity." And I'm like, "Okay, so did Cassidy 
get one of those word a day calendars. Yeah. How would he know the word fledgling? That's what I want to know. I feel like fledgling isn't like that crazy of a fucking word. He's a grown man. I mean, I know he sucks. It's not even about him sucking. He's just a dum-dum that has like a third grade reading level. Yeah. But anyway, so it just, it threw me. Benson picks up on it. (laughs) Because she was like, fledgling? I'm impressed. Like that he knew the word. Then he was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm a big dum-dum and I stayed up till 2 a.m. to impress you. Cassidy acts like a goddamn preteen. Yeah, just Talk yeah. about full fucking house. Yeah. He stands up and flips his chair back. He storms over to the window to look out of it longingly. I <laughs> To assume, look out of it. I assume <laughs> watching for his mom, who is no doubt on her way to pick him up. <laughs> she better have some fucking pre-sons in there. <laughs> I'm going to sit in the back seat, mom. I know the word fledgling. Everybody's like, okay. Anyways. Uh, Crichton's like, follow the money. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Then he calls Cassidy into his office. Yeah. He's like, hey, you know, why don't you come have a red vine and chill out? <laughs> Cassidy's like, mm, sorry about that. And, blah. and he's like, I don't give a shit. You're not in the principal's office, you fucking idiot. Right. Stop being a goddamn child. <laughs> this is the S V. Fucking you. Whatever you're dealing with ain't that serious, buddy. But so he tells him a story. He was in homicide and seven years prior, he had taken a statement from this little girl who was nine at the time. She had been molested by her mom's boyfriend, but he also killed her mom. Yeah. Cregan had a connection with this little girl. He would like just kind of reach out to her and check up on her. Yeah. So he had spent like the last seven years checking up on her. So she's 16 now. I don't really know why, but he seemed like he was wanted Cassidy to check up on her now. Yeah. He says it later why he wanted him to. Oh, he needed like a hip dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I needed somebody cool. Not somebody that she trusted and has been in contact with when like men in her life have been awful to her. You're just like, I'll send this young guy. I need this 30 year old guy that can turn a dining room chair around and sit on it backwards. (laughs) Be like, hey, you ready for a wrap? And he's like, She lives out in Queens. Cassidy's just like, got it. Because now all of a sudden Cassidy knows the word fledgling and he also understands the nuances of an implied conversation. Yeah. (laughs) God. Yeah, Benson's going to go see Emily Waterberg again. She's like, I don't want to talk about what I do. They're like, we don't give a shit about you, you dumb fucking bitch. (laughs) Quote, end quote. So she would take the money from the parolees. The judge told them after they donated to charities, it would look good on their image. For the parolees. Yeah. And they were like, well, what was the judge in it for? And she was like, the sex. He would tell the wives and the girlfriends if they had sex with him, he'd get their partners out of jail. Ugh. Which is, yeah. Ugh. I can't. Right. Yeah. So now they're at this laundromat, and I fucking love this lady. Me too. Yeah, she's the best. The lady tells him that the judge made her go down on him when she was pregnant. Ugh. She's like getting angrier and angrier as she's talking to them. The way she's folding that laundry, if she could hurt it, she would. Yeah. She was a great actress. Aggressive laundry folding. Yeah. But yeah, she was super great. But she's like, that pig judge made me blow him while I was pregnant. Yeah. That's not what she said. Did she's she call, like, I think she called him a pig judge. She said, yeah, that he I made, loved. he's like, he made me go down while I was pregnant. Yeah. And didn't let her boyfriend Tyrell out. The night he's the, still in prison upstate. Yeah. And so her alibi for the night of the murder was that she was up there visiting him and didn't get home until like one in the morning or something. Yeah. And she's like, check the prison records. Yeah. And Olivia's like, how'd you get pregnant if there's no conjugal visits? And I'm like, girl, it's not your business. Yeah. First of all, maybe she's fucking somebody because her husband's in prison. Yeah. Her boyfriend or whoever. Yeah. And the woman's like, 
immaculate conception. Bitch. Yeah. It was like, but her face too. She was just like, how the fuck do you think I got pregnant? Like, Get out of my fucking yeah. face. I thought it was going to end up being like the judge's baby. Because what other oh. reason, what other fucking reason do you have to be that up in her fucking uterus? Yeah. Right? Yeah. She just like asked because she was curious. Yeah. That's it. So they're, they're the precinct again, going over the same shit. Roger Silver was the last to get paroled out. Yeah. Um, Gina, the most recent parolee. Yes. Gina Silver was his wife. Mm-hmm. Is it? Well, it still is his wife. Yeah. So, oh, they go to the pure. Wait, before this, because they have this little B storyline happening with Cassidy, Craigan's like, you got to go back down to the pier to see if you can find anything else, you know, or any possible witnesses. And he's like, it just doesn't end. Yeah. And Cassidy's like, <sighs> And you can see his, what is not a crescendo? What is the other one called? A oh, decrescendo? No, um, there's a convex and a concave, you mean? No, I'm talking about it like in music. Oh, I anyway, don't know. Anyway, it, just a downward trajectory. My husband is screaming in his car right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I hope he immediately started laughing when he heard that you say that. <laughs> John, I'm watching you. What is it? Is it a decrescendo? Is it a... Should I text him? Is it a... I can't even think of another musical term to... Is it a baritone? No. What is it? It's not... I know it's not. It's a... Now I'm trolling him. It's a... <laughs> it's a low music spot. Oboe. <laughs> it's an oboe. <laughs> do, 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 Okay, so, no, but it's it's just like a downward spiral. You're, we're watching in real time Cassidy's... Get beat to shit by this job. Yes, so I'm like, I see what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to be this soon. I know. So they go to the pier. Cassie and Munch find that strung out gal. She was, can I say that? She was strung out. She was. Yeah. Well, because first, like hard pan in on Munch finding a needle. Oh, yeah. And, and then they go find her. And it's like, we're supposed to do the math that she's doing drugs. What did he say? He was like, medical waste through wasted medic. You choose or whatever. And I was like, shut up. Does he stay up late writing these things down? 110%. Oh my God. Uh. <laughs> now I, I immediately believe that that's exactly what's happening. I'm like, what a fucking loser. <laughs> He's a real detective in his apartment. Like... <laughs> It's just some good shit. It's like trash cans full of like crumpled up. But it's Munch. So he's even to himself. He's like, I mean, those are all really good ideas. They're just like not as good as this one. <laughs> so this girl, first of all, Munch. He's coming in hot. He's just a dick. He fucking kicks a pile of what looks like a homeless person sleeping. And I, like as soon as she sits <laughs> up and I thought this, I thought this at the beginning of the episode and I need to take a hard Who, left looks- for a second. Who you say? You from say. the nineties? That one chick. She was like, she's like a low rent her, and I can't remember her Lori name. Lori Petty from um, Risk Cutters: A Love Story. Uh, oh no! A night? No, no. Wait, who are you <gasps> talking about? I'm talking about A League of Their Own, fucking Point Break, Free Willy, Poetic Justice, fucking Tank Girl. Oh, Lori yeah, Petty. Lori Petty. But then as she, and I'm just like, if this isn't fucking Lori Petty, I'm going to kill myself. It's not, it wasn't. Now, goodbye. This is the last time I'm going to see you because it wasn't her. <laughs> because I was like. Are you a ghost right now? <laughs> so I, well, I checked her IMDb and I'm like. TBD, I'm going to scour the credits because she doesn't have a credit for this. But this is the year 2000 that this show is airing. And she had already in the 90s just been fucking crushing it. So I'm like, yeah, no I think Tank Girl's from like 93 or something, right? So early 90s. Yeah. yeah so, so she would have been this chick was like young. Mm-hmm. Anyway, was, so, but so was she, she was young at the time. She was really young at the time. She was born in 1968. A little girl. From, oh, so she would have only been in her 30s. 
weight, right? I thought it was. Yeah. A, I thought it was a, sh- a low rent sh- that Shannon sauce sauce him in. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. I follow her on Instagram, and you should too. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. I'll always love her. Yeah, she posts weird shit, but I love I it. Bet you she would. I but yes, I, I fucking like loved her. When you said wrist cutters, a love story, See? I knew. Yes, it looks like her, right? Kind, yeah, kind of. That fucking jawline. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's gorgeous. so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Jinx. I could, yeah. If I could, I wanted to look like her. I just yes. still want to. Yeah. So not Lori Petty is. She's already made it very clear that she wouldn't make a great witness. And she's playing this character like pretty strong out. So she's like, yeah, she's trying to remember what happened. But she's like, I heard the gun. It was two pops. And then she saw a woman in a blue uniform get out of the judge's car. But Munch is a fucking dickhole to her. And Cassidy is showing his heart here. He's very patient with her, very kind. He keeps giving Munch over the shoulder like, what the fuck, dude, kind of looks. Like, can you just, can you lay off a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then they're back at the precinct. Not Lori Petty is there, too. um, And she's getting frustrated by all the questions because she can't remember stuff. What? I kind of thought that this was the gal that Cragen wanted him to check up on. I thought, because I was kind of sort of confused. Right. But it wasn't, but. Yeah, no, I just remember her being in, the only reason I remember her from the girl who opened the car door and was like, what the, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I remembered it was her too, but I was like, oh, maybe that's why he's having her. Oh, yeah. yeah. But because of Don't the, be confused. The, that whole thing, it t- it gets tied into a nice little bow at the end, but it has nothing to do with this yeah. case or this girl. But yeah, I can see why that would be confusing. Because I was sort of like, when is this girl going to come be a part of this investigation? Yeah. What does this have to do with anything? Yeah. But you never fucking know with a show. Because it could. They could be like, turns out this little girl is actually the girl that is the lady that works for the judge. And yeah. she's the secretary and boop do Yeah. Yeah, so they're back at the precinct. Not Lori Petty is getting frustrated by all the questions because she can't remember shit. Cragen is just jacked to the max about the press being up his ass. And <laughs> yeah. he wants updates about where they're at. He's but, like, our asses are just flapping in the wind. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Can you, I'm trying to, I always try to imagine it. It's just like these butt cheeks, like. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler have been going over recent parolees. The most recent is what we talked about before. Uh, the convict Roger Silver. Mm-hmm. There's three parole board members. Two of them are apparently corrupt, so they go to talk to the third one, Carol Pinto. She chose to not know. Yeah, about- she's being honest with them, giving them all the information that she has, and they're giving her shit. She was mm-hmm. the one person with integrity in the whole situation. As yeah. much integrity as she could have. Yeah, it was funny because they were like, she's like, Roger Silver? I don't know who that is. <laughs> like she kinda, <laughs> then she's like, well, okay, yeah. These people are assholes. And she's like, we meet once a month for a day. I get 20K a year, and it keeps her kids in junior high. Yeah. You know. So she's kind of between a rock a and a hard place. It's a political plum and doesn't, yeah. The, then they find out that Gina Silver, Roger Silver's wife, mm-hmm. she is an airline attendant. And she's they have a flight attendant. Airline attendant? Flight attendant? Is it the same thing or no? It's the same thing. I just have never heard it called an airline attendant. I think that's what they said, and so I typed it down. Oh. Doesn't matter. year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> So, but they wear these very I'm surprised nice. they didn't call her a stewardess. Yeah, right? A vaginal drink dispenser. <laughs> you want some more coffee? Hold on. Sweetheart. <laughs> sweetheart. Sweetheart. Light my cigarette, sweetheart. We're on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I was going to wiggle my tie. It's like a fake businessman, but nobody can see it. Who, so was I... it? Who did that? Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> yeah. Sweetheart. Uh. 
<laughs> no respect. Anyways, they got a. She wears a nice uniform. Blue <laughs> nice uniform. Blue uniform. Yeah. So they're like, oh, there she is. Blue uniform. We got to check her out. Yeah. So they're at the precinct again, and they're kind of going over the phone calls from the judges, whatever. And Gina Silver and the judge traded phone calls for at least two years. Long ones. Long ones, yeah. Now they're at Gina Silver's apartment. Well, first they were like, okay, the judge denied her husband's parole in 97, mm. 98, and now he's getting out in a week. I swear to God, if it comes down to this fucking lipstick. Yeah, and then they're like, why does she want to be with him? Because yeah. he like tried to kill her. Yeah. And Olivia's like, I don't know, but it happens all the time. Because it does. Yeah. So they're at Gina Silver's apartment. She says that she... What? <laughs> they knock on her door. She answers the door in her full flight attendant uniform. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just in case we got confused, you guys. We're like, oh, the flight attendant. Yeah, the uniform. Okay. It's like, this is not the messiest episode of this season. So... Yeah. <laughs> Like, she could answer in sweats, and we would still fucking get it. Yeah. She says that she met him a few times, like, at Together We're Safe rallies. Also, her, like, daughter comes from around the corner, like, Mom, can I borrow your sweater? She's like, yeah, that's fine. And she, I just, like, like, like to watch the daughter, because she just, like, slowly, like, <laughs> slinks back farther and farther out. Like, she's like, what's going on? <laughs> I, I rewound it twice, because it made me laugh. <laughs> But so she's like slowly unraveling. Yeah. At first she doesn't want to let them know that she knows him. And then she's like, well, I met him. And then it's like, well, we're acquaintances. And they keep throwing this at her like, okay, well, you're having these long conversations. She's like, well, we had coffee a few times. Like, that's a lot of coffee. Yeah. And then she goes, can we do this somewhere else? Do I need a lawyer? And they're like, sure, come on. She stops, goes, okay, hang on. Puts on her red lipstick in the mirror her to go outside and talk to the detectives. All caps. All caps. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. The daughter comes back out again and was like, is this about dad? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Just the, Did I say it weird? <laughs> just the voice you have for the daughter. <laughs> is this about dad? <laughs> I felt bad though because she is seemed the daughter, really conceited. Is the daughter Beaker from the Muppets? <laughs> is this about dad? Mom, is this about dad? <laughs> <laughs> this girl's like 13 yeah right hey, i have like red lipstick question mark like why are you doing that i was so fucking annoyed i knew from the beginning i'm like what obvious motherfucker i always go to the writer's room when i see this shit i always go it's to fucking it. jeremy dude jeremy wolf he fucking sucks yeah he does fire him that's why i'm dating him oh my god because he sucks <laughs> that's what i do we get it <laughs> so do i there are uh, a lineup. The girl who is playing like a super awesome version of this strung out addict can't, she can't identify her in the lineup because she could barely even remember the situation. So yeah. she's like, she's I like, don't know. They all kind of look like her. Yeah, it could be two. It could be three. And I'm like, honestly, like same. I mean, it took me a second to be like, oh yeah, it's two. She's two. We just saw yeah. her in her flight attendant uniform in her apartment, but... They're uh, questioning Gina Silver. She tells them that the judge called her that morning and asked to meet him at the pier. Well, she finally admits it because there's prints on the car door, her fucking lipstick, that she's like, look at my lipstick, you guys! <laughs> Guess what it's made out of? Can you cut that out? <laughs> SVU pod, the musical. <laughs> she did it, we know she did it! Her DNA, they said they could get it, but then she confesses. Dick will produce my... <laughs> executive producer dick wolf <laughs> all right <laughs> pass pass um blowjobs hold on i gotta go back a little bit gabe's reading her to-do list <laughs> parole board blowjobs lipstick yeah. there that's my whole day okay so the judge called her that morning and asked her to meet him at the pier and they were like did you know what that meant she's like yeah it means i have to pay my annual dues mm -hmm. her annual dues meaning 
blowjobs. But also they're like, why were these phone conversations so long? And she's like, after his one-way phone sex, he would confide everything to me. Yep. So she knew all the dirty dealings that he was a part of. Yeah. Why did he do... Okay. You know when sex workers are like, yeah, he just wanted to talk. Like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, they just want somebody to fucking... And they need to dump it out. Dump like whatever. somebody that means nothing to them. Yeah. Or that can't... Con- like that can't, you know... That nobody's going to believe. Yeah. Or just like, I just need someone to talk to, or I just need to feel like somebody's listening to me. Yeah. And there's a price to be paid. This woman is going to listen to me on the other end of this phone because... She has to. She has to. Yeah. So she blew him, and then he started to say that he had to end it because he didn't want to jeopardize his position. So she was humiliated, Mm. and she had kept her part of the deal, and she needed him to make the call to Albany. He did it. Oh. (sighs) He did it, but said wife's request denied, and he laughed at her. Yeah, because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And she knew that he had kept a gun behind the seat, so she fucking shot him in the dick. Yeah. But then, this is where it gets... And the face. <laughs> and the face. <laughs> but then, the evil yeah. of this situation multiplies by a crazy amount, because... Yeah. Stabler asked her why she would go to the lengths that she was to get an abusive husband out of prison. Like, what is it that would do that? And she looked shocked. And she's like, I wasn't trying to get him out. I was trying to keep him in. Yeah. Which was really, that was way worse to me because it's like this guy was laughing in her face, fucking knowing what he was doing to her. So it seems so far in SVU that they've it is a power thing for this guy. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. But it seems like they've only brutally harmed dicks on the most deserving of dudes. Yeah. So, like, one was a Bosnian war criminal. One was a rapist. Mm-hmm. And this guy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they're at back of the precinct. Uh, Craig and some dude? Who was that? I don't know who that dude was. <laughs> I don't know either. But he looked like the assistant on Veep. What is that guy's name, that actor? Oh, I know, but I love him. You need to look it up. I don't know. I need you to look it up. You look it up. I'm doing some stuff. Oh, my God, stop. Hold on. All right, wait. What were you going to say? I don't have my phone. Is that what you are going to say? I was, but it was between my legs. Um, (laughs) It was in my God's pocket. You were like, I don't have my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, hang on. Okay. It's between my God's pocket. (laughs) Should I keep going? No, in a second. Oh my God. Have you watched Veep? Yeah. I fucking love that show. I'm not caught up though. I know, me neither. And like, I love it. Like three seasons behind. Yeah, but so much shit comes out and you gotta like- Matt Walsh. I fucking love Matt Walsh. He was in the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yes. Yeah. So this guy sitting in Cragen's office is not Matt Walsh, but he looks like Matt Walsh. God, I fucking love Matt Walsh. Yeah. I love when he gets mad. Like, he, he's just... Okay, hold on. They never specify who this dude is that Craigan's talking yeah. to, but I assume that it's another detective from another unit, or, like, maybe, like, a lawyer. It doesn't really matter. It's yeah, just to, it's just to continue lo- this storyline. Yeah, it? they're looking at the photos of Gina's, like, battered body yeah. from when he got put to jail. She had a restraining order on him that he continually violated. Mm-hmm. And this dude, not Matt Walsh, tells Craigan he would be lenient on her, like, man to max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the trouble is he was a judge, and that makes it a federal crime. Yeah. Which is yeah. really shitty that his life is worth more than somebody else's, but that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, and that they're still gonna have to deal with, like, a sympathetic jury when a shooter goes to trial. And, like, I know that we know this already but in this scene in particular Craigan is just really hitting me as america's dad yeah yeah he's great this episode he's mm-hmm. great in every episode but yeah so he's he, the only one i have consistently not been angry at yeah so he suggests Craigan send people up there to meet the husband so they can be prepared mm-hmm. 
Because this guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah. So now they're at the Hudson Correctional Facility. This dude is a piece of fucking work. Ugh. He was trying to say that she was beating herself in the back with legs of cha- of a chair that were broken. Yeah. And, and a ball peen hammer. Ugh. He's garbage. He's absolute fucking trash. I mean, we don't need to reiterate that to be true. Yeah, for sure. It's like very, yeah. He says that she wants- Nobody's watching it and going, That's I'm on board with that. I was on the fence. You're not on the fence because this guy- <laughs> yeah. Is a piece of shit. Yeah, if you're an independent beat. about this guy. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Get on the right side of history, motherfuckers. Yeah. Maybe so maybe she, she was asking for it. What? Yeah. So this fucking guy, Duke Silver? No. Roger Silver. <laughs> how dare I do that to the legacy that is Ron Swanson? I know, yeah. Roger Silver tries to charm Olivia, and Stabler is leaning back in his seat with his arm over his chair, just kind of like super chill and talking shit to him, but in a you're not worth it kind of way. Mm -hmm. He may as well have had a toothpick in his mouth. And he's like, listen, you're trying to piss me off. You're trying to come for this shit, but you ain't shit. You ain't shit. We're a solid unit. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? And this, this Roger Silver guy, this was interesting. So he, when he said, before he left, he said, tell my wife I want what's mine. Which I'm thinking is like to see his daughter or something. Mm-hmm. But whatever. You find out. Whatever. But anyway, so I want to punch this guy really bad. And he's like, oh, it's too bad that the judge is dead. But he says that Gina told him he'd never see his daughter again. But then he smirks and he's like, she was wrong, wasn't she? And he gets buzzed out to leave the room. Like he just stands up like this interview is over. They're at the office of the state attorney general. Craig and he comes in with this box. This office file box of fellatio for parole scandal. Like, yeah. it's just a box full of 42 of them. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, Happy New Year, Marcus. And Marcus is... It's like tiny little turtle of a man with a bow tie. Oh, my I, God. No. I said... He's Ma- like, what? <laughs> Mark, I said, Marcus is if the penguin from Batman Returns got gingham suspenders, wire rim glasses, and a clerical job. He would be a cartoon turtle. I know. He was oh. cute. He was cute. We liked him. Yeah. He was great. He was adorable. He was adorable and overwhelmed. Look he at all was. these boxes. So they're in Cragen's office and Benson and Stabler walk in. Cragen's on the phone. He's like, yeah, okay. boop a Hangs up the phone. All this Tupperware falls on him again. <laughs> Benson's like, Gina Silver. And he's like, yeah, that's not who he was talking to. Like I originally thought that meant he was talking to someone about her. So Craigan tells them that they're not going to be charging Gina because the attorney general's office is very interested. And Benson's like, of course they are. It's an election year. Mm-hmm. They had offered her immunity to flip because she had all the information. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are pissed. And Stabler's like, she shot a judge twice. <laughs> once in the head and once in the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> So he sends them to go handle it with Gina and let her go. I loved how you said shorts. Just- so then Benson and Stabler are talking to Gina and they're letting her know that they're like, I don't know if they're trying to intimidate her or make her uncomfortable or if they're just being super real with her. But they're letting her know that she's not super safe because yeah, like, you're free to go. But like, not really, actually. Yeah, because she's going home, but she's flipping on people. So she's going to have to be protected in a way. But they're like, mm, you're being watched by the 33rd precinct. And they suck because they're letting her go. She has to do some recon work. And if nothing comes of it, they can rearrest her. Yeah. For the same thing. So they're like, 
this isn't the movies. There's nobody going to be guarding outside your apartment or anything. Yeah. So she's in danger because she's flipping on the whole operation that she was involved in, and now she's scared. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler then take her to her apartment. So they're all sitting around a little table with a giant rotary phone that looks cartoonish at this point because now phones are in our pockets. Mm -hmm. They're recording, and they're having her call a dirty member of the parole board. And you can't hear the other side of the call. You just hear her side. She tells the person on the other end of the phone that she wants Judge Varela's cut of the operation that they were running. You can what tell does that mean? Like, she wants some blowjobs, too? Like, Well, that, that's why I'm like, oh, he was getting money, too. Oh, okay. He had to have been. Yeah. Because other, she's like, transfer his blowjob inheritance over to me. <laughs> yeah. It will go to me, my children, and my children's children. <laughs> she's like, bro, give me the cut or I'm talking to the FBI. Yeah. She's on a roll. She's doing good. Yep. I was a little worried that she wouldn't like be able to pull it off. Yeah. It's reaching the end of the episode, though. So I'm like, oh, here we go. So cut to Cragen's office. And he's talking to Benson and Stabes, hangs up the phone. That was the 3-3. Three, three. The husband's got Gina. They're like, oh, no. Benson and Stabler peel out of there. Because the husband was paroled, and now he's back to fucking with her hard. Cassidy rolls in in his depression outfit. We all have one. Gabe's wearing hers right now. <laughs> They're also my PJs. <laughs> so Cassidy's in Sorry. his depression outfit and he walks into Cragen's office. Cragen immediately goes to a file cabinet and pulls out a bottle of vodka or whatever and pours him a glass of it mm -hmm. because he looks like he needs it. Yeah. Cassidy had gone to see the girl that Cragen had talked to him about. And it turned out that Cragen wanted Cassidy to go talk to her because he was like, oh, she sounded like she needed somebody. Oh, I need to send a cool, hip, whatever. But I'm like, but you're her dad. Yeah. You're her emotional support animal dad. Yeah. I didn't understand, but he was like, the sound of her voice, it sounded like she needed like somebody cool. So, because that's who I want to tell my most fucked up story to. So Cassidy's telling Craig in this story. Uh, a dude that the girl met. Vinny. Yeah. Vince, she liked him, so she went and visited him at Coney Island. And he took he her like, under the boardwalk, and she thought it was like a little cute situation, mm -hmm. and he raped her, and then seven or eight of his friends did too. They like came out of the shadows, and they he, did Cassie, too. He's like, the whole set of seven to eight wolf-packed her, that's what he said, wolf-packed. Yeah. They left her there. Wrapped in a beach towel, unable to walk. And it's cold, and then a dude comes along. And he's like, do you need help? She says, like, yes. yes. And then Cassidy's that... crying at this point. Yeah. And he's like breaking down in front of Cragen. And he couldn't even get the words out to what happened next, what this good Samaritan did next. Yeah. And Cragen's just like, dude, I think you might need to transfer to narcotics. Such a dad move. He's like, this isn't for you. Yeah. The, Cassidy was crying. This unit is proving to be too much for Cassidy. He's like, Benson and Stabler can handle the rest of the case from here. Cassidy's like, oh, I can handle it. And Craigan's like, yeah, I know you can. Or you could transfer out to narcotics and he could do a lot of good there. Yeah. And it wouldn't be like this. Right. So Cassidy is then cleaning out his locker and Munch comes up, is it annoying and stupid, but then switches and is encouraging to He's Cassidy like, about going into narcotics. He's like, yeah. hey, look at how you handled that junkie on the street that I was such a piece of shit to. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you can be a cowboy. They hugged. SVU's not for everybody. So then it cuts to tons of cops on the street, berries and cherries. Oh, yeah. We're at Gina's apartment. We <sighs> forgot about that for a second. Roger's there to fuck up Gina. So Benson and Stabler show up and talk to an officer on the scene. The husband, Roger, had shown up 
grabbed her when she went to do laundry, and now he has her hostage in the building, in the laundry room. So Benson and Stabler, guns drawn, go down to the laundry room. You can see Roger has his foot on his wife's chest. She's laying down on the ground, like, freaking out. He's got a gun, so you can see, like, through this door frame. Stabler pops his head around, and he's like, hey. <laughs> Roger points his gun at Stabler, and Stabler's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stabler's trying to calm him down. He's got the gun pointed at Gina, and he says, this is mine. Ugh. Which made, because, you know, in the prison, yeah. he's like, that's no. what he was talking about. Like, yeah. I'm going to get what's mine. Like, she belongs to him, which is, this is all about power. male-dominating power. Yeah. They kind of shimmy in there with their guns, and they're, like, trying to talk him down. And then the guy, like, raises his gun at Stabler, and Benson fucking shoots him in the head and grabs Gina. Executive producer Dick Wolf, but Olivia's going to be fucked up for having to use her firearm on duty. Yeah, they had, there was a moment where they, like, panned it on her face, and she did that whole, like, Olivia Benson thing, like, fuck. Yeah, where she's like, <gasps> and looks at Stabler, and Stabler's like, this is all looks. There's no more dialogue. But yeah. Stabler's like, it's okay. Yeah, we got this together. Yeah. Because we're fucking partners. Hug from across the room. Yeah. But the way she shot him in the freaking head and then grabbed Gina and like shimmied her out of there. Yeah. It was, it was great. Marty, do you want to hear a fucked up story? Remember you watched the episode and then you texted me and you were like, have you watched yet? And I said, no. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for this chaser. Remember when you said that? Oh, yeah. I am very excited for, for this chaser. Yeah. I can't Good. wait to see who you found. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. So I really, really want to do a good job. Because I'm like, I'm like, I'm sick of being excited. And then, you know what I think it is, is my, I'm coming in with an expectation of you holding the edge of the table and leaning in and being like, <gasps> and then I look down at my notes and I look up and you have like a bucket of popcorn somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you just go? Yeah. I'm excited. Go. Okay. So Judge David W. Lanier. I hate him. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Already. He was a chancery court judge for two rural counties in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Ugh. And he's the former mayor of Dyersburg. He was the mayor for 12 years. He was a judge for 10 years. So to give a little history about him, um, he's the son of James P. Lanier. <laughs> P. Who am I telling this to? My five-year-old? <laughs> Just like... So his dad, James, took control of Dyer County as the county clerk in the 30s. Mm -hmm. And it was said that Lanier's father could make friends out of enemies. He was just a really... Charismatic dude or something. Charismatic dude, good politician. People liked him in the positions that he was in. So he was able to maintain those positions for a long time. Um, David had a brother and his name was James, James Jr. David's brother, James, was the elected public defender and district attorney. And there was a period of time before that that James was an assistant fucking prosecutor mm-hmm. for the town. This is all building to something, okay? Okay. So his whole family's into it, like... His whole family kind of runs the town via... Politics and Politics, law and- court, everything. So people would be in this bumfuck court defended by one brother and judged by the other. Here's a quote from Dyersburg police investigator Joey McDowell. He handled adoptions, child custody, custody cases, divorces. If your kid got in trouble, you'd see him in juvenile court. And when you died, he probated your will. Cradle to grave, he controlled everything. 
Whoa. Right. All of that is like, ooh, that sounds like it's ripe for corruption. It was. <laughs> it was. And uh, nepotism and all that shit. Oh, yeah. So what was the judge doing with his seemingly untouchable and powerful position? He was sexually preying on women who either worked for him, women looking for jobs, child support judgments, child custody, or divorces. And this isn't like rural towns, right? Yeah. This is Dyersburg. Dyersburg, Tennessee. Yes. I think it's like 80 miles north of of Memphis, I remember reading. So this was the dad that was doing it. No, David's dad. Oh, so he, he comes was, yeah. from a legacy family of quote unquote civil servants. Right. It's like a family empire. So once it got to him and his like crimes, the bushes. Yeah. So what? But on like this tiny scale, which made them really big fish. Mm -hmm. So they presided over this town, and because of one. I bring up the history of his family, you know, starting with his dad, because the history has created a place of power for them in the community. And then all of their positions as well add to that power placement. Not only do they have power and influence, they have control. He's the person making the judgments. Yeah. Oh, my God. This sounds like it's going to get so bad. So he was completely set up to settle into his arrogant, abusive position with zero repercussions. Danny Crouch, editor of the State Gazette, said in a community this size, the most powerful and the most powerless have occasions to rub elbows. It's so much more intimate and personal. Mm -hmm. So not only is he a terrible monster, but he's victimizing people who are already in a position where they really need him. Mm -hmm. We'll get into more of that later. This is from the indictment. Between 1988 and 1991, Lanier sexually assaulted eight women who either worked for him at the court, otherwise worked in the court system, or had a case before him. In each instance, the sexual assault took place in Lanier's chambers during the day when the victim was with Lanier, either as a result of her job duties or because of her pending case. And I'm like, okay, we 100% off record know that it was so many more though, because he was known in the town as the grabber for Ew. fuck's sake. Like people said it openly in the community, but who wants to go up against a dude with so much pull? Federal investigators first heard of the possible misconduct in 1990 when some unrelated stuff was brought to their attention regarding narcotics investigators. Many women were afraid to testify because of the judge's power, ability to manipulate, and family influence in the community. Also, it was the early 90s, so eight separate women telling the same story was harder to believe than one old white dude. Mm -hmm. Right. So he was never going to get prosecuted unless it was a federal matter. And his brother was the prosecuting attorney. Yeah. And then his brother's the DA. He's got so then when he was charged, he was charged with three felony counts, eight misdemeanor counts, and each felony carried up to 10 years, and each misdemeanor maxed out at a year so he could get up to 38 years mm -hmm. based on that he pled not guilty and his defense argued that the charges were drummed up because of animosity toward his powerful family so all of these women separately had the same through line of a story mm -hmm. very similar situations place and it was all because the all individually like were like, I don't like his family. Oh, so I read this great article. It was from the LA Times. Quote, on the witness stand, the jowly judge with the graying pompadour told jurors he had sex with several women, but said they all had approached him. And I'm going to do the same voice for him that I did for the Time to Kill Matthew McConaughey guy, because they're both from Tennessee and they're both slimy. <laughs> yeah. I never forced myself on any woman at any time. I'm a hugging type person. Ew. Right? Uh, it makes it worse. Yuck. 
Which is like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm a hugging type person. Yeah. That's not, it's not a defense and it's still creepy as fuck. Nobody was saying that you were hugging them too much. Okay, so Lanier testified and he admitted to once having sex in his chambers with a woman claiming that she had said she was looking for a sugar daddy. Mm. A sugar daddy. Ew. A sugar. (laughs) Do that instead. A sugar daddy. (laughs) There you go. A sugar daddy. Ew. Her story was that he forced himself on her when she was in his chambers about her child support case. Mm. And he told her that he was, quote unquote, always prepared and whipped out a fucking sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. You're prepared? For sex with a sleeping bag? Yeah. Oh, gross. Okay. And she's like, what? Get your door of the Explorer sleeping bag out of here. A 26-year-old woman who had struggled with addiction said that he had forced her to perform oral sex two separate times with the understanding it would help her keep custody of her 18-month-old daughter. And what she testified that he said to her, I helped you out. Now you help me out. Ew, do you think his balls are jowly too? Yeah. Petty Wallace testified that Judge Lanier fondled and groped her in open court. (gasps) Vivian Archie, who was interviewing for a secretary position, which is 90s for office manager, Mm -hmm. was pinned down, punched in the throat, (gasps) and forced to perform oral sex. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that one was a joke. Punched in the throat? Yeah. Whoa. I hate giving all of the detail of this stuff. I'm like, how many of these should I? Like, we fucking get it. This guy is a monster. Yeah. And a power abuser and a a rapist rapist and a terrible person. So he ended up being convicted on seven counts, including two oral rape charges, which were 10 years apiece. And the five others were a year each. So he was sentenced to 25 years. Okay. The federal level crime he was convicted of, because remember he had to, like he wasn't being prosecuted. He wasn't paying for anything until the feds came in on him. So the federal level crime he was convicted of was criminally violating the constitutional rights of five women by assaulting them sexually while he served as a state judge. Yeah. So he gets like more because of his position of power, right? I'm going to get into it. Oh, God. It's, I, try, I, re- I really tried to simplify it so it makes the most sense. So hopefully it's as accurate as it is simple. Okay. Because I read a bunch of like indictment shit and court documents and whatever. And there's a lot of language that I don't have learning for. <laughs> so Lanier was convicted under a 19th century civil rights law generally used to prosecute police officers, prison guards, and others who have direct custody of their victims. He was the first judge ever convicted under that law. And therein lies the problem. The argument of precedent and the loopholes that that shit can open up, opened up. Hmm. So this guy starts appealing and things get messy. So this is from an article I read. His conviction was overturned in 1995. What? Mm -hmm. We're not even halfway done, so. Oh my God. His conviction was overturned in 1995 by the U.S. Appeals Court based in Cincinnati, which ruled that there is, quote, no general constitutional right to be free of sexual assaults. Therefore, so it's all the loopholes and the what's in writing. No, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Therefore, Lanier could not be charged with a federal crime for assaulting employees and female visitors while acting, quote, under the color of law. So basically, they were saying that they couldn't hold him on the fact that he raped and assaulted women because he was charged with it as a judge, which brought the Constitution into it, which is what was being argued. Does that make sense? It doesn't, but on paper, it does. So he made these appeals, and you know when somebody makes an appeal, it's not like, hey, I need you to prove that I didn't do this. 
It's, hey, I need you to prove that my rights were fucked with. Because of his employment? No, because, because when you- someone is charged with rape or assault, they're not charged federally. So because the way that they got him charged with that stuff was him abusing his power as a judge. But because the law that he was, the what they used in court to make that stick to him was a law that was used for police and civil servants that have direct custody of of their victims. And he didn't have direct custody. He did, but he was the first judge. There was a lot of gray area because there wasn't precedent. Like Roe v. Wade didn't have precedent. So it was this big fucking thing. And now it is the precedent. Yeah. You know? Okay. So the case was the United States versus David Lanier. Yeah. Summing it up, the physical crime is set aside when he goes to the appellate court, when he goes to appeal. And the appellate court decided that, oh, yeah, this doesn't apply to you. They decided that this 19th century civil rights law doesn't apply to you exactly. So this conviction, again, not looking at the physical crime that you committed, but this conviction goes against your rights, blah, blah, blah. And they were making all these jokes about being judges and like, oh, what kind of crimes could we get committed of when you're wearing a robe and whatever? Because these are judges making this decision on this judge. I don't know how much of that played into it. But anyway, all that said, he was free just like that. Wow. Holy shit. March of 1995, the U.S. Supreme Court, because there were plenty of people going, uh, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. This guy belongs in prison. Yeah. So March of 1995, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously reversed it to then have it be sent back to the appeals court to have them reconsider. So what that means is they weren't like, no, 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 you can't do that. He has to go back to prison. They're like, no, 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 we have to revisit this because we think this actually does apply. Okay. So his attorney then... That's like weird that you can be acquitted of a crime, but then like later charged of it again. It's just when I saw the movie Double Jeopardy with What's-Her-Face... Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd. I've seen that movie more Um, times than it's worth. Me too. I really like it. I don't know. I do too. Um, But yeah, because of that movie, I'm always like... They're free and clear. Yeah. She she can't get charged with murder again. But then I thought, can she get charged with murder with a gun instead of a knife? But also like sixth grade me is like, there we go. That's that next thing. Yeah. And get her kids back. So um, his attorney that repped him before the Supreme Court was Alfred Knight. And he said that he hadn't spoken to him in months and he didn't know where he was. Mm -hmm. So the Circuit Court of Appeals was not having it. And they were like, get back here by Wednesday or you're fucked. Yeah. And he never showed up. So all of his appeals were dismissed. So everything that they were like, oh, yeah, this is excused. They're like, nope, you need to get back in fucking prison. If you're not showing up, they revoked everything that they turned on. And I think it's because he knew... I think being a judge, he, he maybe. You want to take the chance, sir. Yeah. So for like two years, he traveled abroad and eventually settled in San Diego under an alias, Aubrey Lane Thompson. Hold on. His his alias name was Aubrey? I know. Can you say his alias in that Southern voice? Aubrey Lane Thompson. I guess that makes sense. Aubrey. Yeah. Ew. Okay. But then. But my friends call me Ashley. <laughs> On October 22nd, 1997 is when they determined he became a fugitive on the run. They were watching him. They were following. Like, he was already out and about, but it was when they were like... Come back. He didn't come back. So they were like, oh, you're... There's so many people following this on both sides of the opinion spectrum. Adorably named Sandy Sanders... 
Mm-hmm. Give her Cute. a minute. <laughs> a court employee in Dyersburg who testified against the judge said they gave him his passport back knowing full well what would happen. Why did they think he wanted it back? Right. Like they let him out of prison, gave him his passport, and they're like, mm, here you go, pat on the back. We pressed your slacks for you too. Yeah. Like, this is not how it works for other fucking people. Right, yeah. This is back to that LA Times article that was trolling him. Portly ex-judge David W. Lanier, who was freed by one federal court but sent back to prison by the U.S. Supreme Court has disappeared. <laughs> so they didn't expect at this point that he would surrender himself. And there were promising leads, but they said if he wasn't found soon, they'd be going to America's Most Wanted. I know that we know what that is, but pre-smartphones and internet, the whole country found out about fugitives on a little show hosted by John Walsh called America's Most Wanted. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to like tune in to know what the fuck was going on. Yeah. And then I got, I went on this whole K-hole of fucking John Walsh and yeah, why he started. Oh I my know. God. I didn't know that about his son. Really? Not until I was researching this. I didn't know that, yeah. I didn't know that you didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah. Now I do. Oh, so then in September of 1997, Lanier called a newspaper in his hometown of Dyersburg to complain that he was the victim of a government conspiracy and said, the dogs aren't going to find me. What? Yeah. What a cock. So then authorities learned that there had been a request to a Chicago company for fake identification from Aubrey Thompson living in Ensenada, Mexico. Saturday, October 11th, 1997, he was seen out at a titty bar in Ensenada. That's not confirmed, but it's just something that I read that I thought it was a fun fact. On October 13th, 1997, he was captured in Ensenada, Mexico, arrested at a post office, picking up his shipment of blank identification cards. Then he was taken two hours north of San Diego to be held, where then he was put in prison again. And he's been bitching in prison ever since, throwing around conspiracy theories that everybody's out to get him and blah, blah, blah. In an attempt to do a little where are they now, hopefully dead edition, Mm -hmm. uh, I found a 2017 article at 78. He's still bitching. This is a quote. Nowhere in the world is anyone being punished like I am for what I did. (laughs) Oh my God. You can't look at my teeth when I'm doing it. I'm like, I know. Well, I'm laughing at that. You're like, for what I've done. But it's also, it's also just like, fuck you, guy. Oh, I know. (laughs) The federal government, the FBI, the judges, they're all trying to keep me from pursuing my rights. 25 years is a death sentence for me. And then Vivian Archie from earlier, the woman he raped during a job interview, said he took away my rights. He made me feel like nothing. Yeah. And I even found a change.org petition to allow him to be released with like all these people being like, He's been in prison long enough. He should be with his family. He's an old man. But it had 41 supporters, so I felt okay. like a little better yeah. about it. It was like his cousins or something. Right, and him 25 times. <laughs> him 40 times. Yeah. <laughs> and then I read that release was set for March of 2018, but I couldn't find anything beyond 2017. So I was like, oh, I hope he just died in prison then. Yeah. yeah. I hope, hope he got his like face dumped in. Oof. I'm not taking it back. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Wow, that's fucked up. I've never heard of that. I had never heard it either. It was the best worst story that I have found about judges. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, so next week, we're going to start our little mini-sodes. Intermish. No. So so we got a bunch of emails and messages and stuff. We got some great fucking stories. So don't be like, oh, I only like when they do SVU episodes. Be like, holy shit, these are real life SVU episodes. Yeah. 
Yeah, they are. Yeah. And don't listen if you don't want you fucking prick. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we should have an opening be like, boo doo boo boo intermish. <laughs> and then it's you going, don't listen if you don't want you fucking prick. <laughs> Yeah, that that's exactly what I'm going to do. Also, follow us on Instagram at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. We also have a business page on Facebook. Well, that way you can like share the stuff if you want. Because yeah. you can't on the private group. You can't share it to your like own page. For sure. I sure do like these two ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And you can email us at svupod at gmail.com. Tell yeah. us your stories. Keep sending us stories. Yeah. What else? Send us true crime, weird shit that happened to you, weird shit that happened to anybody that you know, family, just like anything. Yeah. We're enjoying reading them. A couple episodes ago when you could not figure out who this actor oh, was. yeah. And an awesome listener sent you a message saying, this is who that is, by the way. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, if yeah, if you hear us like if you Wait, hear, what was it though? So Mindy sent me a thing that said, maybe you guys already figured it out, but the unnamed super's wife was in the wire and the office. Oh my god, it was the girlfriend from the office. Yeah. I didn't even see her say the office part. Duh. Amy Ryan. Her name okay. was Amy Ryan. Yeah. So that was the that was the episode with the brothers, bad blood. Me and her have the same birthday. You and who? Amy Ryan. Oh my God, yay. <laughs> I wrote, oh my God, we have the same birthday. I have to show this to Tasha. <laughs> Thanks, Mindy. Thank you, Mindy. That's what we want. If like we can't come up with something or something we say is enraging to you, we want to know. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. Yeah. Right. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Cool. Cut that out. Nope. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so the they, ju- well, you, I just let me. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you, unless you feel like you want to go. No, go ahead. I mean, leave my house. Mm. Just kidding. Don't ever. Yeah. Time to spin move into this. Like, yeah. I've said spin move three times. I need to say something else. No, keep it consistent. Keep it secret. <laughs> keep it safe. <laughs> you didn't watch Lord of the Rings, did you? No. Okay. Well, I know it because you say that a lot. <laughs> Fourth of July sale on disposable gloves. <laughs> um, when I picture a cartoon turtle, I picture um, Robin Hood, the fox one, the cartoon one. Oh, yeah. I love it. With the little turtle family? Yeah. No, that guy who's like, hey, what y'all doing? <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs>